chapter 14, verse 1. This is God's word. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another. While another esteems all days alike, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in the honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For as it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Let's pray together as we open the word. Lord, we thank you for the scripture here. Lord, we thank you for the way that you have already, even in the reading of the word, begun to communicate your will to us. And so, Lord, I pray now as... as um, as we read and consider this word, Lord, as you speak by your spirit through the word, that you would help me to make sense of it to the church. And Lord, that not only would we understand it, but that we would take it to heart. And that it would truly change, that it would truly bring change to our lives. Lord, you can do that only by the power of your might and your Holy Spirit within us. And, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Church hurt is real. Many of us have experienced this thing that we've come to know as church hurt. You know, in the place of the fruit of the Spirit where the fruit of the Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control and all of these virtues of God, in the place of that, we, many of us, have experienced instead condemnation, judgment, rejection, isolation. Sometimes you feel invisible and unwelcome in the very place where God's love and his grace are meant to be proclaimed and lived out. That's what church hurt is. And church hurt is real. And church hurt is also nothing new. There is nothing new about it. Did you know that the majority of the New Testament 
is a collection of letters written to churches just like us that were experiencing church hurt. (laughs) See, it was self-righteousness out in Galatia. It was elitism over in Colossa. It was divisions down in Philippi. It was scandal in Corinth. And you know, there was this church in the book of Revelation that was addressed in the book of Revelation that was so jacked up that Jesus said he was ready to vomit. Like it was that bad. He was ready to vomit. And the church of Rome had its own issues. The church at Rome that Paul is addressing, that God is addressing, that we are considering had its own issues, it had its own problems. You see, Paul had gone to great lengths to explain the depth of the riches of God's grace and of the gospel hope that we have in Christ. He went to great lengths to explain it, to put it out there, to say this is the good news. But people were bickering over trivial matters. See, they knew the gospel, they knew the good news, but but instead of focusing on that, what were they doing? complaining, picking fights, discussing and arguing over opinions. You see, the church had become like the comment section. It was ugly. It was ugly. Don't read the comments. You will never regret not reading the comments, I promise you. And here, I know, I do it too. So if the church is hurt and hurting, then how does God respond to that? Well, in our scripture this morning and next week, God gives us some strategies, some ways that we can stop church hurt even before it starts. That we can stop it before it even starts. And so look with me at verse 1. Verse 1 gives us the strategy at the beginning here, and it says this, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him but not to quarrel over opinions. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. And in this one sentence, we have three strategies. The first one is to recognize that some people are weak in faith. Recognize that some people in the church are weak in in faith. We're going to talk about what that means, okay? But some people are weak in faith. Recognize that. Number two, welcome those with whom you disagree. It says, welcome them. Welcome them. Welcome those with whom you disagree. And thirdly, don't quarrel over opinions. Don't quarrel over opinions. Number one, recognize there are some people that are weak in faith. Number two, welcome those with whom you disagree. And number three, don't quarrel over opinions. All right, that's where we're going. Number one, recognize that some people are weak in faith. Now, I know that sounds like an insult, right? It sounds like an insult to say some people are weak in faith. And some of you are sitting there thinking, yeah, that's probably me. I'm probably the one he's talking about. I'm probably weak in faith. And I'm going to tell you what right now. If you think you're weak in faith, you're probably not. If you think you're weak in faith, you're probably not. You're probably not the one that the scripture is talking about here. Let me explain. What does it mean to be weak in faith? 
Well, first we have to ask the question, what is religion and what are all religions? How do people approach God? There's basically one way that all religions approach God, and it has to do with performing religious duties to make oneself right with God. Every religion has something that you have to do in order to be right with God or the gods or the one in charge or the universe or whatever the religion says. Okay, but you've got to get your act together or God will pour his judgment on you. Okay, that is religion. Christianity is different. Christianity teaches that it's all about faith. Not about your duties, not about your religious exercises. It's all about faith. It's all about trusting. It's all about resting. It's all about leaning on what someone else has done for you in Christ. Okay, that's how Christianity is different. This is the entire message of the gospel that Paul has been teaching. That this is not about your works. It's about God's mercy that you receive by faith. That you receive it. Okay? And so, for Christians, when we come to faith, part of the adjustment is learning to live by faith. Part of the adjustment is learning that I I need to let go of some of the old ways of thinking. Some of those old work-related ways of thinking. Some of those old religious ways of thinking. Because we think that God approves of us by what we do. That's our basic religious mindset as human beings. But God says, no, it's about faith. It's about receiving and resting and trusting what God has done for you in the gospel. And that's a completely different mindset. I hope you can see that. It's it's the opposite of what religion teaches. Early in Paul's letter in chapter 1 verse 17, he said, For it is the righteousness of God that is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous will live by what? Faith. The righteous will live by faith. Not by works, not by any effort that we bring to the table, but by faith alone. That is Christianity, and that is what it means to be weak in faith. When you don't get that, when you don't live in light of that, then you are weak in faith. And on the contrary, it means that you are strong in religion. Okay, so to be weak in faith means you're strong in religion. You're still leaning on other things for stability in your relationship with God. You're still leaning on the things that you do for your relationship with God, rather than leaning on what God's provided, which is complete satisfaction in Jesus. And so when we stop leaning on Him, then we're weak in faith. You get it? That's what it means to be weak in faith. Let me give you an example. Training wheels. Many parents will teach their children to ride a bicycle by putting on training wheels. These two little wheels that stick out from the back of the, the rear tire. And, they, and they, what they do is they stabilize the bicycle. But here's the problem. What training wheels do is they actually stunt a child's ability to learn how to ride a bike. Because riding a bike depends on balance and core strength. And so if you take away the child's need to balance by putting training wheels on, and you take away their ability, their need to develop core strength, then they actually never learn how to ride a bike. 
using training wheels. It's crazy, right? And what happens is, when you take off the training wheels, it can be very uncomfortable, very awkward, very difficult for a child to adjust because they got used to riding with the training wheels and now you take the training wheels off and it's like, what do I do? Because you haven't learned the balance. You haven't learned the core strength. It can be downright scary to take the training wheels off. Everything about riding a bike feels different when you take the training wheels off. That is how it was for some of the Christians in Rome. Some of the Christians in Rome, especially those who grew up in the Jewish faith, especially those who had grown up with the training wheels of the Old Testament law. The training wheels of the Old Testament law, when when that law was removed, they didn't know what to do. They had depended so much on the law as a training wheel that when they finally came to full faith, living by faith, it was like, what do we do? It's confusing. And that's why they were weak in faith. Just like a kid would be kind of weak riding a bike, going from training wheels to no training wheels. Get it? In the Old Testament, God had given his people Israel law. And specifically, he had given his people three different types of law. The first type of law is we call the moral law. And the moral law is summarized in the Ten Commandments. The moral law is summarized in these two commands, this one word that we talked about last week. What is it? Starts with an L. Love, right. That's the moral law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's Old Testament law. Okay, that's Old Testament law from the very beginning. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus repeats that in the New Testament, says that still applies. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. That doesn't go away. The Ten Commandments do not go away. There's two other types of law in the Old Testament. The second type of law is called the civil law or the civic law, or you might think of it as the political law. And so with the political and the civil law, there were social laws that were given to govern Israel when they were a nation. Okay, no longer are we a nation Right? But back then they were a nation, and so they had laws in the Old Testament that told you how you needed to build a house. There were laws that told you many different things about law and order and how the government was supposed to work in those days. Capital punishment. It was all part of the civic law in the Old Testament. There was also a third type of law called the ceremonial law. And the ceremonial laws all had to do with their worship. It all had to do with going to the temple where there was a physical edifice that people would go to and gather and where they had all of these laws about cleanliness, that you had to be clean to go into the presence of God at the temple. There's laws about not eating certain types of food or drinking certain types of drink or doing certain types of activities that would make you unclean. You can't go into the temple. Now, you got moral law, you got civil law, and you got ceremonial law. The civil law and the ceremonial laws were done away with when Jesus came. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled the civil laws by becoming our king. And Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial laws by becoming our great high priest. And so we no longer go to a temple, right? We are the temple now. The Holy Spirit lives in us as the temple, the church. We no longer have one government that is the only way 
We no longer live under a theocracy. We live under many different types of governments in the world. Jesus is our true king. Because the church is no longer identified with one nation. The worship of ethnic Israel. The training wheels have been removed. The training wheels have been removed. So this highlights the problems that were taking place in Rome. The problem was that Gentile believers who didn't grow up with the Old Testament, who didn't grow up with the temple, who didn't grow up with the civil laws, the Gentiles, the ones who were coming to faith from all nations, when they came to faith, they, didn't, they never had the training wheels. They never had the ceremonial law and the civil law. They only had the moral law. They only had the law of Christ, the law of love. And so this difference created tensions in the church. We need to recognize that there are people who are still adjusting to a life guided by faith alone. They are still hung up on rules and regulations. They still think that God's favor rests on our good works, our performance, our religious faithfulness. And this scripture says that people who are still dealing with that are weak in faith. Okay, that's what it means to recognize that some people are weak in faith. And if you think it's you, it's probably not you. Number two. Number two is welcome those with whom you disagree. Let's read through uh, verses two. Can you pull that up on the screen for me? Verse two says, One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Welcome those with whom you disagree. Let me say it again. Welcome those with whom you disagree. What were the issues well, there was basically two issues, and I've touched on it already. The two issues, the first one had to do with food. It had to do with foods that were considered clean or unclean by the Old Testament ceremonial laws. Okay, And so for the Jewish people, there were some foods that you just don't eat. Why? Because of the ceremonial laws. Now, those laws have been taken away with Christ. The training wheels are off, but they still felt like, if I really want to be spiritual... If I really want to be mature, then I'm not going to eat. I'm going to be a vegetarian. Okay? Now, the second issue had to do with days. Look at verse 5. It says, one person esteems one day as better than another, while others esteem all days alike. See, in the Old Testament, in the ceremonial law, the Jewish people celebrated lots of different feast days and holidays and special holy days. There was an entire calendar devoted to special days. And so if you grew up with that, right, if you grew up with that, then you felt like this is what we need to do to be spiritual. We need to observe the feast days. We need to observe the days of the week that God sets aside for certain things. So there's these two issues. One has to do with meat and food. One has to do with observing holidays. Now, think about it. You put people together, Jews and Gentiles, into one church, and it is hard to have a barbecue. It is hard to have a barbecue when half the church doesn't eat pork. 
And not only do they not eat it, but they don't think it's holy or good. Okay, it's hard to have a barbecue. It's hard to worship on Sunday, which is the Lord's Day, which is a new covenant reality, the day of resurrection, when you're used to worshiping on Saturday. It's hard to adjust to that when half the church says, ah, maybe Saturday, and the other half of the church says, resurrection, Sunday. You see? And not only that, but all the other holidays, it's hard to worship together when we disagree about these different issues. You can see how this created strife in the church. And he, neither group gets off the hook, right? He says, you're both judging each other. One group says, you're not a real Christian if you eat meat and if you don't observe the feast. The other group says, you're not a real Christian if you're stuck being legalistic about things like that. See? They're both judging each other. One for being legalistic and one for being too libertine, too free. God says, don't judge. Welcome each other. Welcome those with whom you disagree. And here's the key thing. These issues are what the scripture here calls opinions. These issues are what the scripture calls, in other translations, disputable matters. And so it's in these issues where God has not spoken clearly in Scripture, where we have dispute, where we have opinions, this is where God says, welcome one another. This is where God says, welcome those who disagree. And if we really want to grow in our faith, He challenges us in verse 5. He says, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Each one of us should be about whatever the issue is. We should each one of us be fully convinced in our own mind. He's not saying don't have an opinion. He's saying welcome one another with your different opinions. He's not saying you all have to have the same opinion. Right? That's important. He's saying welcome one another, love one another with your different opinions. If you find yourself in disagreement about some issue in the church, some issue that you feel strongly about, don't just rely on your gut feeling. Don't just rely on the way you grew up. But God is commanding us here to be fully convinced in our own minds. And what that means is that we need to spend time searching God's word. We need to spend time praying about this. We need to spend time seeking the wisdom of others. So that we can be convinced in our own minds about these issues that are opinions, that are disputable matters. God has given us so much freedom, brothers and sisters, on so many issues that we get so bogged down in the details of life. But God has really given us freedom because some of these issues are just not explicit in Scripture. They're just not explicit. And so God has given us something wonderful. God has given us liberty of conscience. Liberty of conscience, write that down. God has given us freedom to decide. To be fully convinced in our own mind. But we are not free to shut each other out over those things. We are free to disagree about opinions. But we are not free to cancel each other over opinions over disputable matters. 
You see, in the areas of life where we're free to have an opinion, we should focus our effort and our energy on welcoming one another. Where, the, where we know there are differences, we should focus on the things that unite us, the things that we truly agree on, that are clear in the Scripture, that are the core elements, the main things. What do the Moravians say? In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. I love that. That's what God is calling us to here. Let me give you an example. I had a classmate in high school. Uh, we were in choir together. I had at least one classmate, maybe two, maybe two or three classmates. And we would get into discussions, especially if we had a sub. <laughs> you know how it is. We're talking. We're not doing what we're supposed to. We're, we're discussing life and whatever. And sure enough, you know, religion would come up. And so we're talking in class. And I had this one classmate who told me, and I remember this to this day. She told me that I am not truly a Christian unless I'm willing to be dunked in water and unless I speak in tongues. That I, she told me straight up, you're not really a Christian if you're not dunked underwater and if you don't speak in tongues. And honestly, like I, I remember feeling rejected by that. I remember feeling inferior by that. I remember really questioning, is this right? Like, is this, am I missing something? But as I, as I went home and as I thought about it and as I searched the scripture about these issues of baptism and uh, the, the speaking of tongues, I realized and I knew that the Bible really didn't say explicitly how I'm supposed to be baptized. It's never really spelled out exactly. And it doesn't require everyone to speak in tongues. Maybe some people, but not everyone. So I remember as a high school kid going back to high school and rather than, and this was God's grace in my life as a kid, rather than engaging in the argument, rather than coming back with all of my ammunition and saying, let me show you what the Bible really says about this issue. Somehow God gave me grace in this and I just decided I'm just going to say, you know what, let me focus on what we agree on. And so we ended up never really talking about it much anymore. I just kind of un understood, you know, you're weak in faith. Like, you don't you, your opinion is too strong on this issue. You're judging me. You shouldn't judge me, but I'm not going to make it a big issue. All right? I tried to focus on what we agree on. Now, we never became real close friends, <laughs> right? But we did have peace in that relationship. God says, welcome those with whom you disagree. Find a way to welcome those who are weak in faith. You know, a lot of church hurt rises from listening to what people say rather than what God says. A lot of church hurt happens when we listen to what people who are weak in faith are saying rather than listening to what God is saying, rather than being the one to actually welcome others. We just get hurt. And I'm not saying it's your fault for getting hurt, okay? Don't hear me saying that. Because I, I mean, it's clear it's a problem, right? But, but I want to encourage you to listen to what God says in His Word. Listen to what God says, not what some person says to you. So what is the proper mode of baptism? <laughs> the Bible says, baptized with water... In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. 
All right, those are our instructions. Baptized with water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. God simply does not tell us exactly how to do it. So, just so you know, at New City, we are free to choose. Sprinkling displays a rich image of the sacrificial system of of the blood being sprinkled on the altar. What a beautiful image, right, of cleansing. Immersion displays this rich imagery of death, burial, and resurrection. And pouring displays this beautiful, rich image of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and the cleansing blood of Christ. Okay, so sprinkling, immersion, full immersion, and pouring. They all three have a different way of expressing the single truth that our, that our sins are washed away by the blood of Christ. Right? And so, because the scripture doesn't explicitly say which one we should do, we're free. Now, in my own personal study, and as the pastor of the church, I have to choose. Okay? And so I've chosen, because I'm fully convinced... That pouring is the right image. That's what I see in the scripture, the clearest, pouring. Okay, but if a new believer comes to me and wants to join our church and they are fully convinced that immersion is the right way, all right, they are fully convinced. I'm going to say, let's look at some scripture. You know, I'm going to try to show them the way that I think is the right way. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to force that on them. And so we will put on our swimming trunks, we will grab some snake repellent, and we will go down to the Edisto River. All right. Right? Why? Because we should welcome those we disagree with. We should welcome those we disagree with. Why? Because God has welcomed us. Because God has welcomed you. That's what our scripture says. He has welcomed you, and so you ought to welcome those you disagree with. This is how we prevent church hurt. Number one, we recognize that some people are weak in faith. Number two, we welcome those with whom we disagree. And number three, we don't quarrel over opinions. Let's read verse six. The one who observes the day honors it, uh, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we're the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the living and of the dead. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. There are lots of opinions in the church. Lots of opinions. Is the sanctuary a holy place where children should never play? Is it wrong to wear pants to church? Is alcohol evil? Is it wrong to eat pork? Can Christians vote for Republicans? 
Can Christians vote for Democrats or independent? What about schooling, public school or, or private school or, or homeschooling? What about entertainment? What rating is appropriate? What about vaccinations? Yes or no? You see, there's so many opinions in the church about disputable matters. Things of which God does not give us that, that, that explicit kind of direction. And so we're free in our consciences to, to decide what we believe is the right way. So many opinions. And look, all of these opinions and more fill the comment section in social media with judgment, judgment, judgment. Did you see the focus of the scripture of these last verses that I read on how, how dare we judge one another on these opinions, on these disputable matters about schooling and politics and food and drink and pants and vaccinations, wearing a mask? How dare we judge one another for opinions? How can we navigate these differences? How can we stop quarreling over opinions? How can we keep the main thing the main thing? Two takeaways, two applications for you. The first one is this from verse 6. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in the honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So, what's the key? Doing it in honor of the Lord. Right? The key is to seek to honor the Lord. Whatever your opinion, whatever you're doing, if you're going to vote one way, seek to honor the Lord. If you're going to wear pants, <laughs> seek to honor the Lord. If you're going to watch a movie, seek to honor the Lord. Seek to honor the Lord in all of your choices. That's the first tip. That's the first key, right? Can I do this and honor the Lord? Can I do this and give thanks to the Lord? Can I do this if Jesus were here with me? Right? Let your conscience be your guide in those matters that are, uh, that, that are disputable. Don't seek to please people or fit in with cultural norms. Seek to please the Lord. That's the first tip. The first tip is seek to honor the Lord. And if the answer is no, then you need to obey God. You need to obey your conscience. That's what the scripture tells us. If the answer is no, I can't do this with a thankful heart. If the answer is no, I can't do this if Jesus were sitting here with me. Then follow God's leading in that disputable matter. That's the first thing. Seek to honor the Lord. And the second takeaway is this. Focus on the good news. Verse 9 says, For to this end Christ died and lived again. And to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of the dead and of the living. You see, brothers and sisters, this is why Jesus came. This is why he lived. This is why he died. This is why he rose again. Jesus didn't come to save us so we could spend all of our time arguing on social media about our opinions or in the church. 
He saved us so that we could be worshipers. He saved us so that we could live our lives devoted to Him. And the things that are clear and the things that are unclear. To love one another. To welcome one another. And I think it grieves God's heart to read our social media. I think it grieves God's heart to read our hearts sometimes. And the ways that we judge one another. Jesus is the only judge. He is the only Lord of the conscience. He is. Not you. Not me. It's Him. And He says here, each of us will give an account to God Himself. That every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And do you know what every knee will bow and every tongue will confess in that day? That Jesus Christ is Lord. And what that means is that today, brothers and sisters, because of the good news, you can actually bow to Him today. That means that because of the good news, it's not about you getting your act together. It's not about being religious. It's not about putting on a good show for God or for your parents or for anyone else. It's about coming to Him by faith. By being strong in faith. In order to be strong in faith, you have to be weak in works. In order to be strong in faith, in order to know that you need to lean on Him, it means that God may make you weak in some way. It means that there might be disagreements that you have to deal with. Why? So that you can cling to Him more closely, more strongly, more tightly. See, that's an opportunity. Every disagreement is an opportunity to honor the Lord. Every disagreement is an opportunity to focus on the good news of Jesus, that He is Lord. And that you can live in light of that. So what do we do to prevent church hurt? We recognize that some people are weak in faith. We welcome those with whom we disagree. And we don't quarrel over opinions. But we seek to honor the Lord and we focus on the good news. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we bless your name. We thank you for this scripture which addresses real life. It addresses something that is so common in church. It's why so many have left the doors of the church because of weak faith. Not their weak faith, but the weak faith of others who have caused them to, to feel condemnation that they probably didn't maybe deserve. And so Lord, we pray that you would restore those who have been hurt. That you would bring them back to a true understanding of your of your grace and of your kindness and of the reason why you came to be Lord, not for some church member to be Lord, but for you to be Lord. And so, God, I pray that you will help us as a church to actively prevent church hurt, that we would do so in the ways that you've outlined here in the word today, Lord, that we would do so as we seek to make the main thing the main thing, as we seek to love one another and to be patient with one another and to honor one another, to welcome one another. Lord, help us with that. It's a struggle. Lord, build your church in the way that you want to build it, here. Lord, help us, even as we reach out in the, in the weeks to come, as we reach out over at the Knuckles neighborhood this week, Lord, I pray that people would get a little glimmer of, of love and life and welcoming spirit that truly reflects your heart of grace. Lord, build your kingdom. 
build your church. We pray for that in the strong name and the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.